So what we're doing uh, this summer is we're, we're looking at various encounters uh, that God has with his people throughout the biblical story. And as we're looking at these encounters, we're calling uh, this sermon series uh, Visitation. And very uh, specifically, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the, the individual and his family, Abraham. And last week, we began looking at Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and we're p- continuing with Jacob's life today. And we're looking at Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. But And our goal, just uh, t- to let you know what our goal is with this sermon series, is that as we're looking at Scripture, we want to know what it means for us to meet God for the very first time. We also want it means for us to walk with him in our everyday lives and even be changed by knowing him. And very specifically, all, all these things come to, uh, like, come to this text as we look at this. And so we're, this text that we're looking at uh, today uh, really picks, well, last week we looked at Genesis 28 when God comes to Jacob in a dream. And for the past like four chapters, uh, it's actually like 14 years, Jacob has been following God just very superficially. He knows God. He, he gives him a head nod and so forth. He's like, hi, hi there. But he doesn't actually know him um, uh, with any devotion. He's not pursuing him. He's not following him wholeheartedly. And this text that we're looking at today transforms all that. It's like, so let's uh, give our careful attention to uh, the reading of God's word. This is Genesis 32, verses th- uh, 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place, the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and my, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of that thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that in this time, your word would be at work in our heart, that your spirit would be at work in our heart, so that uh, we would come to know you and see your beauty and be changed by you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I know very little about the sport of boxing. The only time I really learned anything about it is when there's a big fight coming up. And, I can, and what I'm about to tell you is going to exhaust the entire knowledge that I have of boxing. When it comes to boxing, there's a reigning uh, champion, the one who holds the, the title, that he is the champion of the world. And then there is also, uh, whenever there's going to be a big match, this, there's going to be a contender. And typically, the contender is an underdog. And whenever there is a fight, the, there is a play-by-play. 
Now, I've given you everything I know about boxing. It's true. But whenever there is a match, actually, here's one last thing. When there, there's a match, there's, there's, there's a lot of buildup, and there's a lot of drama when it comes to it. And when we look at this text, there's actually, uh, this feels similar. It is very dramatic. There is a contender. There's a play-by-play, and there's a champion. And that's our outline for today. There's a contender, a play-by-play, and there is a champion. And I just want to dive into this text because this text is incredibly powerful and profound. And we, we, will, we should see this because God is doing something amazing in Jacob's life and, and also in our lives just as we look at this. So let's dive into this text. And first off, we see the contender. And let me set the scene for you. And the contender is none other than Jacob. And Jacob, his whole life has been marked by a fight. He has been uh, fighting his entire life. Even when he was in his mother's womb, his mother Rebecca, when, uh, when Isaac and Rebecca uh, had sons, they had twins. But, and when Rebecca was carrying these two boys in her womb, they were fighting. And, she, and Rebecca, in fact, and this is in uh, Genesis uh, 25, Rebecca is in such discomfort. She goes to God and says, God, why am I so uncomfortable? And God says this to her. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. There's a fight going on, and so God explains this. And so Esau... It, is the firstborn. Jacob is the second. And so Jacob is the younger brother. Esau is the older. And so in other words, Jacob is going to be the one who's going to receive the blessing from God. That is the the prophecy that Rebecca receives over uh, her womb. But um, even though Jacob is the one whom God told would receive the blessing, that is not what Isaac wanted. That is not even what Isaac one did. Actually, Isaac went about the way of the culture all around him. So the culture at that time would say that uh, the firstborn would receive two-thirds of the family inheritance. So the firstborn pretty much gets er- almost everything. Not everything, but almost everything. And the, and the, the rest of the kids would get the, the remainder, the remaining third. They would have to split it up if there were more than just one, um, one son more than just one sibling that would receive it. And so Isaac is actually saying, Esau is my favorite son. He, he's, he's going to be the one who receives the inheritance. And so Jacob has been searching for a blessing his entire life. And it's because of that search for a blessing. That's why he conned his brother Esau. That's why he deceived his father. And it's not hard for us to figure why figure this out. Like when when Jacob was born, Isaac named him Jacob. And I've said in previous weeks that in, in Hebrew, names mean everything. And in fact, the, uh, the Scripture tells stories in such a way that, are, that is very ironic. And we see this at play here with Jacob because Jacob uh, like means the one who lies, the one who deceives, the one who cons, the one who tricks, the one who usurps. So in other words, well, everything that we have seen Jacob do, Jacob has been living up to his name. And so Jacob, ever since he was born, he has been living with the pain that he is his father's second favorite son. In other words, he is his least favorite son. Isaac doted, favored, and championed Esau over Jacob. And the reality is, and like we know this from um, 
from our own life, we know this from uh, counseling therapists, and we even see this here confirmed in Scripture, if we don't receive the blessing and affirmation that we need from our parents, we're going to look for it elsewhere. That's what Jacob does. That's why he, let it, that's why he conned his brother, conned his dad. It's why he um, goes to Laban's house and like, marries uh, two different women and, and so forth. And it's even why here in this text, he says to a complete stranger, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Jacob is desperate for a blessing. He's looking for affirmation. He is desperate for love. And so by the time we get to our text today, 14 years have passed since his deception to his brother. And to give the context to our passage, like Genesis 32, um, 1 up to 21, Jacob is... Here's news that his brother Esau is coming to visit him. So only the first time, their first reunion in 14 years. And so Jacob fears for his life and sends his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children across the river. So he sends them off to safety and he remains there by himself alone. And so in the, immediately following this chapter, this text, he meets Esau. So just to understand where Jacob is at, he is fearful for his life. He is a con man. That is his identity. He is looking for a blessing. And that is where we're at today. And, but just to be clear, Jacob has, been, has built his entire life around a lie. Jacob has built his life around the lie of self-reliance, that he has to rely on himself to get ahead, that he himself is self-sufficient, that he can do everything himself. It's a lie of pride. And the truth is, that is not how God meant for us to live. That is why Jacob is the contender. Jacob is contending with God's design for our life because we are meant to live life face-to-face with God, where we are intimately connected to him and where we enjoy his love and his favor and in a relationship with him. That is how we are meant to live our lives. To be clear, our lives are meant to be shaped by God's love for us. And so Jacob has been contending with God his entire life his entire life, trying to live life differently on his own terms. And so Jacob is the contender. And the unique thing about this is that God is really tired of that. And so he enters the ring with Jacob. He comes to Jacob. And and God's arrival is abrupt. And it's in verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. It's like, where did this man come from? It's out of the blue. It's sudden. It's abrupt. And so right here just raises two quick theological questions. Uh, One's very theological. One's more personal. But on on the one hand, it's it's this question of can God appear as a man? And we've seen already before as in Genesis 17 when God comes to Abraham uh, to to tell him about the birth of Isaac, God appears as a man there. We see God appearing as a man here in Genesis 32. So it's very, uh, it's it, it happens. It's extraordinary. It's rare. It's what theologians call a theophany. It happens, and it's, it's very unique to this era within uh, human history. And like because that if you look at the New Testament, God becomes man in Jesus Christ, and you don't see anything else. Like That doesn't happen any other time. It's, it's very unique. So it happens, and it's unique to this era in redemptive history. 
So yes, God can become man, and it's uh, limited to this redemptive era. Uh, the second question is, is, and this is theological, yet it gets much more personal, is who is this God who wrestles? Who is this God who wrestles with us? And this is where we get to the play-by-play. And I want to look, I want to slow down and look at these verses because in each one of these verses, there's a lot that we can learn about God and what that means for us to have a life with him. And so verse 24, this is where uh, the man wrestles with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I, I'm, we've already spoiled the whole story. But just to be clear, Jacob doesn't know who this man is. We know it because we read the whole text. Jacob doesn't know who it is until verse 30, after he learned, after he uh, has been told, like, hey, you've wrestled with God. And so he's like, I've wrestled with God. And like, so I've seen God face to face. But just, just to be clear, Jacob um, is not the one who starts a fight here. God comes to him and starts a fight. And, but God comes to him when he's alone. Let me think about alone, being alone first. If you've known God for um, any uh, significant length of time, uh, I suspect that you know that. I suspect for you that the, major, the, the majority of your most uh, poignant uh, spiritual experiences have occurred in private when you are alone. And, like, and that's actually very intentional because when we are alone with God, we're actually putting away the white noise of life and solitude and just being alone can actually be really uh, um, an amplifier for us to hear uh, God's voice as we hear his word, as we're praying and as we are uh, really reflecting upon life. So this is actually something that Jacob experienced in Genesis 28. It's here again in 32. As it was Jesus' custom, early in the morning he would go off to be alone. So just being alone can actually be a powerful way for us to learn uh, to meet God, to know about him, and, and to walk with him. And so, but very specifically here, as Jacob's alone, he's about to go to sleep for the night. God comes to him and wrestles him. God comes and starts a fight. Now, it's true that later on, Jacob asks for a blessing, but that is not the, the cause. That is not why this fight happens for the first time. The reason why, and God comes to Jacob for a very simple reason. He comes to wrestle Jacob into submission. That's the whole point of a wrestling match. I used to wrestle in elementary school. I was lousy at it, but even then. But like the, the thing is, the whole point why you wrestle is to really pin a person to a ground for, for a few seconds or until they tap out. Like you, that's why you wrestle, and God comes to Jacob to wrestle him into submission. And so let me just put this clear for us, that if you're going to be a Christian, that means you're going to struggle with God. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to struggle with God. And there are some really bad ideas out there about life with God. And one bad idea is this, is that if you're going to follow God, then uh, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be rich, and so on. That's a bad idea. Like that's, The bad idea is that God wants you to basically uh, have the American dream. He wants you to be prosperous. Now that bad idea is attractive for one simple reason. It's attractive to us because it's safe. But 
it's a bad idea. It's not true to who God is. And in fact, in a children's book, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis, it's an amazing book. You should read it. And this is, um, and just to give some context to the Chronicles of Narnia, so uh, it's after World War II, and, and Lewis wanted to explain the Christian faith to uh, little children. And so he wrote these children's stories. And in these stories, uh, they, they, there's these four children who are somehow transported to, far away to this completely different universe and, and this different land in Narnia. There's talking animals. It's very foreign. It's very different. And the king of the land has been missing for ages. And all that's left of the king are rumors. And so they're in a, a room. They're, they're with some talking beavers. And they're hearing about these rumors and the, the king's name is Aslan, and this is our quote for reflection. And here it is. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion, says the talk, one of the talking beavers. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel, feel, feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Now, we tend to domesticate God uh, in order to have a safe life. But God, and, and, but God comes to us, just as he comes to Jacob. He comes to us and picks a fight with us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he knows that we do not live submitting to him. He knows that we need to discover something that we cannot learn about ourselves unless we fight with him, unless we wrestle with him. He knows that our lives are constructed around the lie of self-sufficiency and self-reliance and pride. So God is coming to us to wrestle with us so that we will learn what it means to uh, walk humbly with him. And so if you are here today and you're not a Christian and you have questions and doubts and your, your hearts are full of skepticism, I want you to hear an invitation right now because God wants you to bring those to him and argue with him and reason with him. In fact, one of the calls to confessions that we use, and Sean used it last week in Isaiah 116, it goes like this, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall become white as snow. God wants you to bring your questions, your doubts to him and wrestle with him about them. That's what God wants. Now, perhaps also uh, some of you may be here today and you've known God for quite some time, yet you are struggling. It could be with a, a sin issue in your life. It could be with assurance. Now, friends, what I want you to know is that following God is a lifelong thing. We cannot expect to be perfect and have our acts together in one moment. It takes, God does his work on us, his best work on us over our entire lifetime. And so what I want you to know is that it's okay to struggle and have questions. And like, it's okay because you're struggling. It's like, I want to believe and you're holding on, you're pursuing him. So friends, I, I want you to be encouraged by this because this is a picture of someone struggling with God, of someone wrestling with God. God wants us to bring all these things to him because he wants us to have a life with him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. 
And so in verse 25 here, we see that this fight isn't ending anytime soon. It's going on late into the night. And so uh, the man says, hey, let me go. This is verse 25. The man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And so right here in in 25, we see something very clearly about God. That God is willing to play dirty. God is wrestling Jacob and he dislocates Jacob's hip. The point is that that God is dangerous. Here's another writer, Annie Dilliard. This is how she described uh, the fact that God is dangerous. On the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs... uh, and that right there, she's talking about persecuted Christians who are being persecuted for their faith and driven underground. I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea of what so, sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? Church, the churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers, ushers should, be, should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to a a point we can never return. So the point is that God is uh, dangerous, but he's good. God is not safe, but he is good. And following God means giving him everything. And it's in that way that he disrupts our, our safety. And because God is willing to make us desperate, in fact. He's willing to make us desperate so we give him everything. See, God wants us to realize that none of us can handle life on our own. No one can handle life on their own. And we lie to ourselves when we think and we say that we can. In fact, we're just pretending that we can. Yet, we also underestimate the power of wrestling with God. We underestimate uh, struggling with God because somehow God uses the hard times of our life. God uses our misery to, in fact, transform us so that we become more like his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we see here. And as we move to verse 26, this fight is going into the night. And so the man says, let go of me. Jacob is not willing to let go. He's not willing to tap out, but he says, let me, I will only let you go if you bless me. This, again, I just want to point out, Jacob is talking to a complete stranger. We're seeing the fight of his life on display for us because he's been, he's been after a blessing his entire life. And so he says this to a complete stranger, but God wants... God wants him to know something. After Jacob says that, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, the man says to him, what is your name? And that is significant, and it's, confu- and it's confusing to Jacob, and he, he's, he, he takes a step back. Why do you ask my name? But God wants Jacob to know something. God wants Jacob to know himself. God wants Jacob to come face to face with who he is, who Jacob is. Because Jacob means liar, deceiver, con man, trickster. What God wants Jacob to do is to confess who he really is. 
God wants Jacob to, to say, you know, I am a con man. I am the one who deceives. I am one who lies. That's what God is after. God is after that vulnerability. God is after that honesty. And deep down, Jacob knows that. Jacob knows that he's done wrong. Jacob knows that he has deceived. Jacob knows that he has harmed others. Jacob knows all these things. And he is ashamed for it. And he's even fearful for his life. And so as, he, as, so as Jacob tells the man his name, as he says Jacob, he is not only announcing his name, he is announcing his false identity. He is saying, I have been one who has lied my entire life. And so right here, we see God. God has wrestled the self-sufficiency out of Jacob. He has wrestled the self-reliance out of Jacob. And God is willing to do anything and everything to wrestle that same self-reliance out of us. And we need a God, friends, we need a God who is willing to enter into our lives and wrestle us to the ground. And it's only then, it's only then when God gets us to the ground, when God exhausts us to the point of submission that we receive a blessing. That is it. It's only then when God exhausts us to the point of submission when we receive a blessing. And this leads us to the champion. But who is the champion of this fight? Who wins it? Jacob taps out, but he has a, a limp for the rest of his life. This fight cost him something. He received a blessing, yet he still has a limp. God walks away. And so Jacob, so like again, the question is, who won? Now, but throughout the fight, God, throughout the whole fight, he could have ended it in a moment, any moment, but he didn't. Instead, like, God is actually the one who started the fight. He, he let it continue. He played dirty. And he, in fact, allows himself to really be considered Jacob's equal, even when Jacob has a dislocated hip. And friends, what I want you to see right here is that this is a picture of Jesus' life and death for you. If you think about the cross, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, as Jesus bled from there, as he would cry out in agony, like the question, here's the question, who won and who lost? Did God win? Did God lose? And the answer is yes. See, friends, God enters into the misery of our life. He enters into the, the misery of our life in order to wrestle us so that we can, can be saved, in order that we can have life with him. But as God enters life to wrestle with us, he actually allows himself to be weak for our sakes. He allows himself to be weak for our sakes. And so in a sense, Jacob lost the fight. He, 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 had, he got a dislocated hip, and he would be carrying that for him within the rest of his life. And in there, I just want to show something. I want to point something out, that when you enter into the, the wrestling match with God, you will come out limping. And that limp is going to show that you have wrestled with God, but it's also showing you something else. It is going to show you that you submit to God. Now that, that limp, it may, it's, in this text, it's a literal, physical, dislocated hip. It's also, but for every Christian, everywhere, it's humility. It's where we submit 
to God as he is the champion, he is the king, and we are his people and his children. And so, this, so even though this limp uh, slows Jacob down in some ways, it's a gateway, actually. It's a gateway to joy. It's a gateway to peace. It is actually through weakness that we come to know God the best. And, and so Jacob here is showing us, he's modeling something for us. He is showing us what it means to pursue God and to hold on to God with passion and zeal and commitment and pursuits. And he also shows us what it means to embrace the limp that we, he shows us what it, what it means to embrace the limp in order to receive God's blessing. In fact, Jacob's hip it's Jacob's hip, Jacob's humility makes him fit for God. And in another sense, even though Jacob lost, he's, he also won the fight. He received the blessing that he has been searching for and yearning for his entire life. No longer would this man, be, this man Jacob, no longer would he be known as a con man. No longer would he be known as a trickster or a deceiver or a liar. No more was that his identity. His new identity is Israel. One who has wrestled with God. One who has wrestled with God. Now, friends, if you follow God, you will receive a blessing. And the blessing is this, and we use it in our assurance of, of, of forgiveness, that we are God's children. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that God invites us into the same love and the favor and the devotion that he has for himself. He invites us into his family, and we are his children. That is a blessing that we have. We have this life with him, but Having life with God is never easy. It does not come to us naturally as we are sinners. And we wrestle with God and we are meant to struggle as well. We wrestle with God in order for us to wholeheartedly follow him. So for some of us, that means bringing our cynicism before God. For some of us, that means bringing our doubts and our questions. For some of us, that means putting our relationships. For, but for every single one of us, we, it means putting our whole lives before God and, and asking him to do with our lives what he will. And so when we wrestle with God with the mentality of not letting go until he blesses us, our lives are going to be transformed. And friends, that is what God wants for you. Let's pray.